Chased in here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 21st of March, 2022, the 18th of Adarbet 5782, coming to you this morning from beautiful Gush Etzion, Judea, Israel, just south of Jerusalem. Hope you are safe. Hope you are doing well in your part of the world. Don't forget, you can get in touch with me during the week, josh at thelandofisrael.com, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram as well. That is where you can find me. And let's get right into it today. Let's open up. We have the ongoing conflict war, uh, as the Russians call it, military operation going on right now in the Ukraine. And yesterday, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, via Zoom, addressed Israel's parliament, the Knesset, uh, Times of Israel reports in a caustic address to Knesset members on Sunday, during which he repeatedly invoked the Holocaust and criticized Israel for failing to arm his country, the Ukrainian president pleaded for help defending against a Russian final solution for his people. That's what he called it, a final solution for his people. Um, Zelensky said Ukraine and Israel faced the same threat from their respective enemies, Quote, the total destruction of our people, our state, our culture, even the name Ukraine, comma, Israel. Zelensky, who is Jewish, noted that on February 24th, the date Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine was also the date on which National Socialist German Workers' Party, the Nazi Party, was founded in Germany in 1920. Are you seeing a pattern here of what he's talking about? It destroyed entire states and tried to carry out genocide, he said. On February 24th, um, the order was given to begin the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has already killed thousands of people, left millions without homes. They became refugees in dozens of countries. Zelensky doubled down on the Holocaust comparison, which he has invoked repeatedly since the Russian invasion, at times drawing criticism from Jewish groups. He said the Russians used the terminology of the Nazi party. They want to destroy everything. The Nazis called this the final solution to the Jewish question, he said. And now in Moscow, they're using those words, the final solution, but now it's directed against us and the Ukrainian question. Zelensky then appealed, I'm continuing here via Times of Israel, then appealed to Israeli lawmakers for assistance and criticized them for failing to arm his country, refusing to take a large number of refugees, interesting, and opting out of many of the biting sanctions against Russia and its interests that have been imposed by the West. He said, I'm sure you feel our pain, but can you explain why we're, we're still waiting for your help? When other countries are giving help, why isn't Israeli help or even entry permits forthcoming? Ukrainians made their choice 80 years ago. More Holocaust references here. We saved Jews. And that's why there are, are, there are righteous Gentiles among us, said Zelensky, um, ignoring seemingly uh, how complicit the Ukrainians were during the Holocaust. He concluded saying, people of Israel, you too now have a choice. So I have a lot to say about his speech yesterday. I did not hear it live. I'm just reading excerpts of the speech. You can go online to find the entire speech which he gave to the Knesset. Number one, stop with the Holocaust references. As bad as the situation might be right now in the Ukraine, this is not a Holocaust. The Russians, as far as I know, are not setting up gas chambers to gas Ukrainians. There is no master plan 
for the so-called, as he says, final solution, and I can't believe he's even using that terminology, final solution for the Ukrainian people. It's a war, and it was launched by the Russians for, in their, you know, in their view, for many purposes, whether it's the Ukraine's um, cuddling up to the West, or their desire to join NATO, which possibly could be excuses, or perhaps it's Putin's, most likely Putin's desire to take over the Ukraine and annex it and make it part of historic Mother Russia. I think that's the real reason, but this is not a Holocaust. This cannot be compared to the Holocaust, and it is offensive and deplorable that the president of the Ukraine is talking about the final solution making that comparison time and time again, doubling down on that comparison between uh, what's going on in this country right now and the Nazi um, systematic plan to exterminate Europeans, Jews entirely, and perhaps Jews of the world. No comparison there. That's number one. Number two, I talked about it on this show was it last week or two weeks ago? I personally was on a chartered flight with the United Hatzalah organization to Romania to drop off humanitarian aid. We're talking about tons of aid to bring over United Hatzalah personnel, medical personnel and EMTs and, and the rest, and to bring back 110 Ukrainians who are either Jewish or have the right to make Aliyah to Israel under the right of return. So don't tell me that Israel's not doing anything for the Ukrainian people who are fleeing. That is nonsense. From what I know, it's still true till today, Israel has taken in more Ukrainians than any other country other than those which are bordering the Ukraine. So for the president of the Ukraine to say Israel's not doing enough to take in Ukrainians, I think that's also bunk, okay? And uh, number three, and this is very personal for me, for Zelensky to use his platform to talk about Ukrainians saving Jews during the Holocaust, and I'm not denying, I'm sure some Ukrainians saved Jews during the Holocaust. But let me tell you on a personal level, my own family, I'm talking about 100 souls, 100 souls in my father's family murdered by the Ukrainian police working with the Nazis. That's right. The Ukrainian police working with the Nazis in 1941 murdered my family. My family, not and many other families, but I'm talking about my family murdered by the Ukrainians. So stop with this revisionist history ignoring what the ukrainians did during the holocaust for refusing to mention it okay and that's what zelensky did during his speech so i'm not taking this entire speech and saying we shouldn't have pity for the ukrainians who are under fire and the fact that russia is bombing hospitals and maternity hospitals and bombing uh, shelters where people are trying to save themselves uh, bombing civilian uh, neighborhoods time and time again. I'm not saying that's not happening, but what he did, Zelensky, I mean, if he had people here 
100% on the side of the Ukraine. And again, I don't know who is 100% on their side here in this country, but I would say it is the, the majority based on the Russian aggression, the vast majority. He did not do himself any favors here. And I think it's actually despicable based on the text of his speech that this is what he did in the Knesset yesterday. I wonder if he's taking to task countries like Japan, Australia, Canada, or any other country around the world and accusing them of not doing enough to help the Ukrainian people. I was just on a flight, guy. Okay. People here in Israel, EMTs, and people who are saving lives in Israel who are not saving lives here anymore because they're flying to Romania and Moldova and all these countries to help the Ukrainians. So don't give me this nonsense about Israel's not helping enough and all this other bunk. It's offensive, it's hurtful, and several MKs, by the way, harshly criticizing Zelensky for drawing comparisons between the Holocaust and Russians' invasion of the Ukraine and ignoring Ukrainians' complicity in the Holocaust. Uh, minister Yoav Hendel, the communica communications minister, tweeted, I admire the Ukraine president and support the Ukrainian people in heart and deed, but the terrible history of the Holocaust cannot be, be rewritten. Hendel noted that part of Nazi Germany's genocide of Jews was also carried out on Ukrainian land. He added that while the war is terrible, this is exactly what I said, while the war is terrible, the comparison to the horrors of the Holocaust and the final solution is outrageous. Hebrew media outlets quoted unnamed senior ministers railing at Zelensky's outrageous comparison. Likud MK Yuval Stein had said it borders on Holocaust denial. Uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, I got this from this morning. I think this is via Arut Sheva, Israel National News. He responded to the speech calling Israel's treatment of the war in Ukraine a sensitive and generous one. Naftali Bennett, our prime minister, said Israel has provided humanitarian aid to Ukraine since the very beginning of the war, adding that the Jewish state has approached the complex crisis with understanding and responsibility while balancing a gamut of different considerations. Okay, and people have to realize that. People have to realize that we also, Israel, we have to look out for our interests and defend ourselves, and we have to take into account what's going on in Syria, the fact that Russia has troops on the ground in Syria and controls a good portion of that country when Israel has to take out Hezbollah terror cells in that country. It's a fine line. And if the Ukrainian president doesn't understand that, okay, then he's the one who has a problem. And if he's going to downplay Israel's role in helping these refugees, then he has a problem then he's holding Israel to a different standard, which he's not holding, apparently, uh, when it comes to any other country in the world. And that's despicable and deplorable. And again, I'm not saying people should now should just, you know, give up on the Ukrainian people or, or side with Vladimir Putin. But, but this, is a, this is an outrage, in my opinion. I'm not sure. Again, I don't have the background of why he was invited to speak on this Zoom at the Knesset who initiated it, what the goal was here, but his comments were deplorable. And I think it's fair, in my opinion, to take him to task, the Ukrainian leadership, specifically the president, for coming out harshly against Israel when Israel has done so much.
I mean, just, just look at this. The Jerusalem Post reports that work has begun on the Israeli Kohav Meir field hospital in the Ukraine, with the hospital expected to begin operations this Tuesday. A medical delegation expected to arrive today with Dr. David Dudi Dagan, 60 medical staff members from Shiva, Shiva Medical Center in Tel Shomer, along with Schneider Children's Medical Center, additional institutions, Israel setting up a field hospital in the Ukraine. And we're being criticized? Okay, this is a 21 million shekel uh, hospital, which will be active for, I think, a month. 21 million shekels funded by health and foreign ministries, the prime minister's office, and private donors. And Israel's doing this, and we're getting criticized. All right, so this this is just ridiculousness. Is that a word, ridiculousness? Either way, it's absurd, and it is preposterous that Israel is being singled out and criticized uh, by the Ukrainian leadership. So that's my take on everything going on there in the Ukraine. Um, let's switch gears here now and talk about yesterday's funeral, one of the largest funerals in Israeli history, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, JNS reports approximately 750,000 people gathered on Sunday in B'nai Brak in central Israel to accompany Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, passed away on March 18th to his final resting place at the Shomrei Shabbat B'nai Brak Cemetery. Kanievsky was widely considered to be the leading spiritual leader and Torah scholar of our generation. He was known as the Prince of Torah for his vast knowledge. Uh, many people are quoted here sending in their condolences, including the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Bennett, and many other lawmakers and rabbis. And um, he was, from all accounts, and again, I, I am... I, did not know too much about um, about the rabbi uh, personally, but just from what I've seen on on social media and the things I've read in terms of his Torah knowledge and his accepting of guests and visitors on a regular basis, um, just a life completely dedicated to the Torah, uh, making him the the um, top top Torah scholar of the generation who passed away and you can go online and see the the images of just hundred literally hundreds of thousands of people uh, who came out to pay their last respects I did get a little I saw I got a little chippy at times during the actual burial with so many people trying to make their way to the grave and the last thing we wanted here in Israel was another Mehron uh, tragedy where people uh, last Lagba Omer were crushed to death on the mount, mountain of Meron, Har Meron, during the festivities there. And in this case, I know there were some slight injuries and some people fainted and dehydrated and whatnot. And thank God from what I know, nothing too serious. But he leaves a, a, a void, a major void in the world of uh, Torah scholarship. And again, I don't know all the details of who now becomes the spiritual leader of those sects. Uh, of Judaism, I don't know how all that works, but um, but from all accounts, a true loss uh, for the Jewish people. Turning to the situation with Iran, once again, 
the U.S. must not remove the Islamic Revolutionary, Revolutionary Guards Corps designation as a foreign terrorist organization. Prime Minister Natalie Bennett and Foreign Minister Lapid warned in a joint statement on Friday, as reported by the Jerusalem Post. They said, we believe that the U.S. will not abandon its closest allies in exchange for empty promises from terrorists. So that's what the Biden administration is busy doing. With everything going on in the Ukraine and Russia and whatnot, their focus remains, let's uh, let Iran get off the hook for being the world leader in terror sponsorship. Okay, and now, according to these reports, one of the deals is the U.S. will take away the IRGC's designation as a terrorist organization for a commitment by Tehran to, to regional de-escalation and not to attack Americans as a side deal to the revival of the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. So let's ignore this ma massive, massive terror organization. Let's pretend they're not terrorists. And essentially it's paying mafia-style demands here. We're going to take your terror group off our list as long as you don't harm Americans. I mean, I've heard about crazy deals like this in the past. And this seems like just another horrible idea and capitulation by the Biden administration in the face of the Iranians when instead of showing strength, like the previous administration in Washington here, they're showing weakness. I mean, how is this even on the table? These people are exporting terror, carrying out terror, which are hurting not only Israel, but other Arab countries throughout the Middle East and potentially the entire world. Bennett and Lapid listed the IRJC's proxies, such as Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, the Houthis in Lebanon, the Houthis in Lebanon, and militias in Iraq, pointed out that the branch of the Iranian military behind attacks throughout the Middle East, including plans in recent years to assassinate American officials, the killings of hundreds of thousands of Syrian civilians, and more, this is all related to these uh, these proxies under the umbrella of the IRGC. And somehow, it seems, again, I don't know for sure, but it seems that the Biden administration is willing to overlook, overlook the fact that this is a maniacal, lethal terror organization in order to lift the sanctions and to give these people a, a hall pass. And it's preposterous. It's unbelievable, but it is believable the way things are going here with the Biden administration and their lack of leadership, their failure in leadership when it comes to when it comes to everything, really. But specifically in this case, when it comes to the safety of Israel and her allies here in the Middle East, the attempt to delist the IRGC as a terror organization is an insult to the victims and would ignore documented reality supported by unequivocal evidence, according to Lapid and Bennett. The U.S. assured the Jewish state, and this is, this, this is what really smarts here, the U.S. assured the Jewish state that it can find other ways to keep the IRJC in check. Right, you're going to find other ways. You're really going to pay attention to this. You'll find your other ways, just like you're pushing this terrible nuclear agreement, the same, even worse than the one in 2015, with phony guarantees and promises and we'll find you know this reminds me honestly this reminds me of the whole oslo process don't worry it'll all work out we'll find ways to keep the terrorists in check we'll arm 
We'll arm Fatah. We'll arm the Palestinian Authority, and they'll take care of Hamas. Don't worry. We should take risks for peace. That you know what? That's what I when I think about it. That's really what it comes down to. It's this whole concept of risks for peace. People should take risks for peace. You only make peace with your enemies. You don't make peace with your uh, with with your friends, right? That's a bunch of nonsense. First, you defeat your enemies. You defeat your enemies. Once they can't fight back anymore, that's when you offer peace. Not until then. But here, with Iran threatening to destroy Israel on an almost a daily basis, attacking, carrying out attacks. Even this week, there was a missile attack in Iraq targeting uh, an American site there. The Iranians claim it was an Israeli site as well. Even as they're doing all this, somehow uh, the U.S. and the world community are letting Iran off the hook. And that's where we are now. That's the state of affairs right now. And speaking of terrorism, uh, several, you know, we're almost at Ramadan here, okay? And that usually means an upswing in terror, which is just counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense when you're talking about a month of peace and reflection, right? That's what Ramadan is supposed to be about in Islam. But no, that's not what happens here in Israel. According to Arut Sheva, Israel National News, two Israeli police officers wounded in a terrorist stabbing in Jerusalem on Sunday afternoon near the Damascus Gate of the Old City. The Arab terrorist rushed the officers, stabbed them, and fled the scene. Uh, from what I understand, he was later caught. One officer in moderate condition, but stable. Thank, thank God, stable. Second, lightly wounded. A day earlier, on Saturday, an attempted stare, uh, stabbing attack on Derech Hebron, Hebron Road in Jerusalem. Um, the attacker was shot and seriously wounded. The terrorist, the Arab terrorist, seriously wounded. Um, and there's a video circulating online. You see, I think it was a morning jogger on Saturday morning who was attacked uh, and left with mild wounds before police intervene and shot uh, the terrorist here. Arut Sheva, Israel National News, also reports within the defense establishment, there is grave concern at an escalation of violence again as the month of Ramadan approaches. And uh, over the past few weeks, attacks in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem as well have been more frequent. Okay, so... So what does Israel do in the face of this escalation? Well, according to Khan Reshet Bet, this report from yesterday, the Israeli government will be permitting Palestinian Arabs, PA Arabs, to pray on the Temple Mount during Ramadan. In addition, Defense Minister Benny Gans will be permit, uh, permitting Gaza Arabs to visit family members who are security prisoners in Israel and all sorts of other leniencies during the Muslim Holy Month. So, how do we react when there's an upswing in terror attacks, when more Jews are being stabbed, when more police officers are being attacked and security personnel are being attacked? The response is to um, to issue more leniencies, issue more permits, do all sorts of things to appease that very same community who continues to launch attacks on us. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. Okay, I mean, I'm not a member of the security establishment, so I can't tell you how 
grave the threats or lack of threats are, but what I can tell you is what what I can tell you is what I'm seeing out there, and the fact that almost, you know, it's like daily there are these attempted terror attacks in Jerusalem and in other places, of course, on the roads of Judea and Samaria. That that goes without saying, and uh, I guess our approach is uh, leniency. Our approach is to give more permits and to make things easier and to accommodate and all these things as if that is really going to stop the attacks. Um, No, I believe the opposite approach should be taken. You have to crack down and send a message that we will not tolerate violence. We will not tolerate terror. And when things are really quiet, that is when Israel can start removing uh, some of the restrictions as a result of these terror attacks. That's when you ease up not when the attacks are taking place, not when the security forces are already issuing warnings that we're getting towards a dicey time of the year, Ramadan, and happens each and every year. But the defense establishment, apparently, and its leaders are on a different page. One other terror-related story here, this one also from the Jerusalem Post, two Israeli Arabs from the Western Galilee have been indicted on suspicion they were recruited by Hezbollah to carry out terror attacks in the country for the Iranian-backed terror group. So two men arrested uh, back in February. It was now permitted to be reported. Um, a joint operation of the Shin Bet Internal Security Agency, Israel, Israel's police and the IDF arrested two Israeli Arabs who were working with Hezbollah. And then that's a major problem. Okay, when you have people, citizens of the state of Israel using, we talked about this last week, but citizens of the state of Israel using their rights in a democratic country to side with the enemy. That is a, that is a major problem. The uh, Jewish press reports the number. I thought we were done with this whole COVID-19 thing, but we are not. Number of new daily cases is on the rise again in the state of Israel. The infection, infection uh, coefficient is over one which indicates that any individual can infect uh, multiple people. Uh, Infection rate is on the rise. On Friday, 15.96% of those tested were diagnosed with the virus. I believe over 10,000 people tested positive yesterday. The death toll is 10,419 as of yesterday. And 26 Israelis lost their lives in this past week. So the numbers are not looking good. We already had a fifth wave. I don't know if this is going to be a sixth wave, considered a sixth wave, um, with new strains of this uh, uh, variant BA1, BA2 subvariants, as they're called, detected in PCR tests at Ben Gurion International Airport. Just when you thought that the war in the Ukraine destroyed COVID, okay, that's really what it felt like. Is like the whole world moved on to the war and forgot about the the virus. No. The virus is still here, and the numbers are going up. Let's finish with some positive news here. JNS reports Israel's the ninth happiest place in the world to live, according to this year's World Happiness Report. And I find these studies, uh, you know, they come out every year. I find them just remarkable. With everything I just talked about for the last 20-plus minutes about the state of affairs here and terrorism and the Ukraine and Israel being blamed for everything wrong going on in the world, all this other stuff and the the traffic on the highways and everything else going on here. Israel's still the ninth happiest country in the world, according to this report. The 158-page listing for 2022 published on Friday. Israel's two spots higher than last year. 
five spots higher than 2020 when it was ranked 14th in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Israel is a happy place. The people of Israel are happy. That's the bottom line. Despite the craziness, despite the terror and the wars and all the other nuttiness in this country, Israel is still a happy place and its citizens are very happy to live here in the beautiful state of Israel. And I would like to finish on that positive note. I think that's the way we're going to go here today. That is going to do it. Shout out to Benjamin Bresky, engineer extraordinaire, Tabitha Epstein for everything she does behind the scenes. My name is Josh Haston. This has been another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Get in touch with me during the week. Josh at thelandofisrael.com on Facebook, Joshua Haston or Josh Haston. Israel Journalism on Twitter at Josh Haston and on Instagram as well. Um, everyone out there in the wonderful world of ours. Have a great week and be safe. Coming to you again from Gush Etzion, Judea, Israel, south of Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Have a great week, everybody. Shalom, shalom. This week on The Jewish Story, The Lebanon War, 1982. These, then, are the three goals which will drive the war in Lebanon. Destroy the PLO's military capability and hopefully with it their political legitimacy. Number two, get Syria out of Lebanon. Number three, make an alliance with the Maronite Christians to reshape Lebanon's politics, hopefully forever. And all Israel had to do to achieve these goals was find a potential Christian leader in Lebanon and undertake a full-scale invasion in order to destroy the PLO, drive out Syria, and secure his power. What could possibly go wrong? That's The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.